every year thousands of widowed men and women are taken in scams and cons just like that. Friends and family members try to to warn them. They, they kind of see that something's off about the relationship, and so they, they try to tell them, but, but the widowed person assures them, no, it's fine, they're great. But by the time they figured it out, it's often too late. And the person taken in the scam often feels very foolish, ashamed, and embarrassed. But they shouldn't. Because once someone, anyone has experienced the loss and loneliness of losing a spouse, it's very understandable how they can be moved towards or convinced of another person loving them. And a lot of times, the, the small voices that, that say, hey, maybe something's not right here, the, the loss and the loneliness kind of downplay those. They, they silence those. And so it's understandable. Loss and loneliness can do that to someone. We, uh, we've been going through a series called Every Season of Life. We're talking about from all the way from, from little babies, as Marilyn mentioned, to little kids, all the way through life, and eventually, at some point, our earthly lives end. And when our earthly lives end, we leave behind loved ones. And for those of us who have chosen to get married... Typically, one spouse leaves first, and the other one is left with this loss, this feeling of loss and and loneliness. They've lived with someone for so many years, and then they're alone. And when that happens, uh, who can comfort them? Who can care for them? Who can provide for them? Uh, Can they depend on their families? Can they depend on the church? This is what we need to look at. And, and scripture provides us with some answers, some insight on how the church, how families, how we are to care for widows and widowers, people who have lost a spouse. There's a mandate in scripture outlined. So turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5. Now this is going to be a little bit of a flashback from our previous series, God Breathed. And uh, we kind of outlined this, this passage oh, probably maybe six months ago, eight months ago now. But it's such a great passage when we're dealing with this season of, of being widowed. It, it's a good passage for that. So we're going to jump back there, and you're maybe going to remember some things. If, you're, if it's your first time at Whitehorse Baptist, then, uh, then that's, that's fine. This is going to be fresh to you. And if you want to go back and study more, you can go on our website or our podcast, and you can listen to those messages. All right, we're going to be looking at 1 Timothy 5, 1 Timothy 5, and different than I normally do. I normally go through the whole passage, but uh, this time I'm going to kind of stop on each verse, and we're going to kind of unpack it as we go. So the first verse that I want to start with is verse 3. 1 Timothy 5, verse 3. It says, starts off here, give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. Give proper recognition. Those two words are the keys. Proper recognition. If I were downtown and if I were to run across one of you and recognize you either by our relationship or I've seen you here or seen uh, proper recognition, I would say, hey, how's it going? Uh, Or I at least would smile or wave if, if you looked like you're in a hurry. 
but it would be improper for me to kind of catch you, catch your eye or, or see you and kind of say, oh yeah, I recognize them, but not acknowledge them. Not, not give you the respect you're due or the acknowledgement. That would be improper recognition. And this is what's talked about here. So if there is a widow that, or a widower that is in need, it is improper for a Christian to not give them the recognition that they're due. To see their need, to see them, and to keep walking, stay busy, that's not godly. That's not Christ-like. Right off the get-go, what we need to recognize is that widows in need need proper recognition, acknowledgement that they're in need. Okay? Uh, And another thing here that I I just want to highlight, in, in the passage and in Scripture as a whole, you often only see widows. And widows are female widowed people. Widowers are male widowed people. And there's just a quick context thing there. There's a Bible versus culture thing that goes on here. If we think about, if we remember, we've looked at it before, if we bring our minds into first century church and what's going on, a very patriarchal, male-dominated society, women stay home, men work. And so there is a vast difference in biblical time if a male spouse dies versus a female. If a male spouse dies, okay, then the, the wife left, it's survival mode. It is serious survival mode to meet her needs, to feed herself, to clothe herself. On the other hand, it's a different, it's a different story if a female widow, if a female, or a, if the female dies, excuse me. In this patriarchal society, the, the male can still work. And if anything, financially, uh, hear me when I say this, I don't want to sound harsh, but if his wife dies, he still experiences loss and loneliness. There's, there's no doubt about it. But financially, he is one less person to care for, feed, clothe. And so that's one of the reasons when Paul is talking to Timothy here, he's predominantly looking and trying to train Timothy on how to care for people. And, it, and it's the fiscal need is so great in biblical times that that's why often in this passage, you're only going to see widows. Now, in our culture, we have to bring biblical text and bring it into our culture. We cannot assume in this day and age that a man or a woman whose spouse has passed away that the either one is fully cared for, financially or otherwise. All widows and widowers, I think, need to be cared for and comforted and befriended and, and, and visited and all those things. I think that needs to happen for sure, but we also financially can't assume in our culture. So that being said, as we move forward with the rest of this text, let's remember that in our 2016 context, we can't just assume that a widower is fully cared for, okay? So let's move forward with that. Uh, Let's look at the next verse. Next verse is verse four. It says here, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn first of all to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents. For this is pleasing to God. This is an interesting piece because we, we have another problem here, Bible to culture. The understanding in biblical time is that children and grandchildren should care for their elderly parents or grandparents. 
And remember, as we highlighted last week in, in retirement, in our culture right now, more and more and more children are depending on their elderly uh, parents financially, and some even grandchildren are depending on the grandparents to financially cover them, spot them, whatever you want to call it. And a lot of this in our culture has to do with, let's say anyone, you know, roughly uh, south of 45, south of 50, we have an obsession, an addiction with consumerism in our culture. We always We've not really known what it's like to be in need in Western culture. And so this has festered an addiction to want. And like a drug dealer with a good drug, our banking system has capitalized on this with massive amounts of credit cards, line of credit, home equity loans, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And money is so accessible that is not ours, but eventually you need to pay the coffer. Our parents and grandparents, they didn't grow up in that system. They grew up in a system where need and want were very well outlined. And there was a difference between need and want. The iPhone 7 came out on Friday. And I'm just telling you, I need it. No, (laughs) I don't need it. It's a want. I actually have an iPhone 5, okay? So we know I didn't even go for the 6, just, you know. But we're in this culture and our And if I'm to look at this passage, if I'm to understand, okay, God, if this is what it is, if if caring for my parents and my grandparents, if financially making sure that they're okay, if this is pleasing to you, then the alternate is really convicting for, for those of us that are just swimming in debt load. Because we've also drank the Kool-Aid to say, oh, well, they should have saved for themselves. Hopefully they did, and hopefully the markets don't crash. Or, oh, we have a government that'll just take care of them and give them a check. If, if we fully grabbed hold of that, keep in mind, we need to look at this passage and understand this isn't really how God fully wanted out, it, it outlined. If our grandparents and parents, elderly parents are in need, especially if they're widowed, seemingly, that should be convicting for us. It's convicting for me. And so, so you know, this week, Nicole and I made our boys memorize this verse, so that in 2020, 2060, in 2060, when the markets fall out, we're just going to call up the richest one and say, quote the verse and say, hey, we're moving in. Uh, so th- this is a great, great retirement strategy for those of you that are, have young kids. Get them memorizing this early. This in John 3.16 and you're golden, okay? It's a joke. We didn't really get them to memorize it. Okay, so let's move on though. Let's move on from there. Uh, Let's have a look at five and six. The widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and ask God for help. Verse six, but the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. Okay, uh, this is a contrast statement that Paul's doing for Timothy. The, the widow depending on the Lord and the widow depending on pleasure. Let's talk about verse six first. Pleasurable things aren't bad. Um, there's, you know, all sorts of different things, food, cars, shopping, travel, whatever your pleasure item is. Ha, a, a widow or widower who is having pleasurable things it's not bad. 
the ESV translate it as self-indulgence or someone who is self-indulgent. And the idea here is when the loss and loneliness of being widow sets in and their life was dependent on that spouse, what can happen, what happened 2,000 years ago and continues to happen is pleasure, the seeking out of pleasure can replace that loss and loneliness, but it's fleeting, it's momentary. You know, and it may be food. Well, then massive obesity takes in. It can be alcohol, move from moderation. Next thing you know, alcohol takes over. It can be shopping. Next thing you know, the money that you got from maybe the life insurance or whatever, it's gone. It, it could be a ton of things. It's, it's moving from my devotion was my spouse, now my devotion is pleasure or self-indulgence. Something that obviously happened in this day, and, it's obviously some, and it is something that can happen here. And it's fleeting, and this is why Paul says it very, very strong words. He says, they're already dead. In other words, they're lost. They're simply spinning their wheels, waiting for themselves to expire. Because seeking pleasure as your top priority once your spouse is gone, it, it's going to go nowhere. And, th- and that's not just for someone who's widowed. That's for all of us. If pleasure and self-indulgence is our goal, we're done. Take a look at Hollywood. The story's right there. Okay? But let's, let's end with some good news here. Verse 5 talks about that, that there's another side. When the spouse passes away, there is an opportunity for a widowed person to now say, Jesus is who I have. They had Jesus before, but they had Jesus and a spouse. The spouse is gone, but Jesus never is. And, and they can now say, I, I'm going to focus on it. It doesn't mean that they can't get married again or anything like that. That's, we're going to talk about that next week. It doesn't mean that. But in the initial loss and loneliness, pleasure will only momentarily cover, cover loss and loneliness. But if you want to obliterate it, to obliterate loss and loneliness, there is only one man, fully God, fully man, who can do that. Amen? Jesus Christ, a full foundation. Once the loss and loneliness has overtaken you, if it's fully focused on Jesus and you just dive into prayer and fasting and Bible study and, and you just dive and you cry out to Jesus, maybe in, in, in tears, in agony, that is not fleeting. And we have proof of that. Turn with me to Luke 2. Luke chapter 2. There's a small account in Luke 2 of a a woman and she gets a small mention, but her story is incredible because she's a widow who truly did this, who found herself without a a spouse, but instead of seeking pleasure, she just beelined for the Lord and it paid off. To set the stage, Jesus is a baby and Mary and Joseph are heading to Jerusalem to do his ceremonial purification. It's a Jewish tradition, uh, law of Moses type stuff. We're going to start in verse 22, Luke 2, 22. And I'm just going to read through this account. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, 
a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought the child Jesus to in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. Simeon took Jesus in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you, have, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed him and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. And here's where the prophet comes in, uh, the prophetess, prophet. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Paniel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So what's going on here? Let's do some math. Average Jewish girl at that time is married at about 16. She lives with her husband seven years. That makes it about 23, roughly. Her husband dies. She's widowed. Surely, lots of friends and family said, Anna, get married again. Just take another husband. Don't live in loneliness. Don't live in loss. Come on, you can still have kids. Like, what are you doing? But for whatever reason, she could have got married, but she made a choice. As a young woman, as a young widow, she made a choice to serve the Lord. It's what she decided. She didn't have to, but she decided to. And then for over 60 years, she worshiped and praised the Lord day in and day out. And maybe her friends thought, Man, like you're just doing this day in and day. What a waste of time. And lo and behold, if you go to the temple every day and the Messiah shows up, guess what you're not going to miss? And so lo and behold, this lady Anna, who becomes a prophet, devotes her life to the Lord, she gets to see the Messiah. She's so excited. She just tells everyone. So sometimes, choosing the Lord over pleasure can pay off in the end. I would say every time. So let's jump back to uh, 1 Timothy 5. Look at the next couple verses here. Seven and eight. Give the people these instructions too, so that no one may be open to blame. If anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So, eat. Each family, whether we like it or not, or able to or not, it's clear from Scripture that if there is a widowed person in our family, 
there is clear instruction that we should care for them if they're not cared for. But I believe that care is not just about finances. I, I, I think we need to serve them in any way we can. I, I believe that we're supposed to, and, and specifically in the family situation, and Paul uses this term of they're worse than an unbeliever. What? So, like, they're worse than someone who doesn't know Jesus? How are those people worse? Don't we love them? We need to think about what he's saying theologically here. Worse than an unbeliever. An unbeliever is lost. They don't know where they're going. An unbeliever doesn't know which way is north. They're wandering the planet, no idea where to go. Paul, in this statement, is making it so clear that we understand that if, if, we have, if, we, if we have people in need in our family, specifically if we have widows in our family and we are not serving them, we're not caring for them, he's saying, you're lost. You, you missed your faith. Because if you can't serve your widowed grandmother or your widowed mother or father or grandfather, if you can't do that, forget about the rest of the world. If you can't even serve your own family, how are you ever going, going to be able to go and be a light into the world? It's impossible. You're lost. That's what he's saying here. But for us in this culture, we have a unique opportunity for our church we have a unique opportunity. First, we have an opportunity to serve any widows who, or widowers who do not have family. We need to take note of that, especially being up here in the Yukon. Maybe they don't live up here. And as a church, we need to think about that. Think of those people. How are they doing? Are their needs met? It, are they visited? Are they cared for? Are they prayed for? Secondly, it's a bolder item, but if we know people who have widowed family, and they're not caring for them, and they're believers, or they say that they're believers, might be a difficult conversation that we need to embrace, but we need to say, look, what's up? You're missing it. If you can't care for your own mom, like, how are you ever going to care for the lost? You got to get on it. But then also, we have another opportunity, and that's that for those families that maybe are choosing not to care for their widowed parents or grandparents, we're family. The Holy Spirit is thicker than blood. It's more important than family trees, according to Scripture. And so, if we have a widowed person in our congregation, if we have a widowed person in this city, our goal is to serve and reach this city. We have got to think about that person and make a strategic effort to serve them, to care for them. And even if it's been years down the road, if you talk to someone who's widowed, there are times, birthdays, Christmas, Easter, there's these times that the loss and loneliness can become as fresh as the day of the funeral. It happens. And so on those dates, it's important for us if we have a friend or a family member, we know someone who's widowed, it's good to know those dates and, and to come alongside them, give them a call. Maybe on that day, don't let them sit alone in their house. Maybe invite them out for the day. Invite them out for lunch. The last thing, before we close here, is that this season of life is really, a, a, we're talking about in this season of life being widowed. And what's fascinating in scripture is other than focusing on uh, 
your relationship with the Lord. It's interesting that there's not much instruction on what kind of widows or widowers need to do. It's almost like God understands that the pressure of losing a spouse is so difficult that he doesn't mandate a bunch of other stuff. And that's why it's important that when we understand the season of being widowed, it is a season of being served. It's our time in life to be served. And I understand that might be difficult because some people have spent their whole life just serving other people. Serving, serving, serving. And it can be hard because the, the voices could say, oh, that person's too busy. I'm annoying them. I, I better not call them. And I better, don't do that. Because I'm telling you, if I'm to look at scripture correctly, that's not of the Lord. That being widowed is a time for the family that they should have a mandate to serve you. And that could be difficult. But moreover, I believe the church family has a mandate to serve the widowed. And so it's okay to call someone and tell them, yeah, you know what? It's my husband or it's my wife's birthday at the end of the week. Are you are you free? It's okay to do that because for those of us that are single or married or young or just having a family, we're going to be there one day. Very few of us have the pleasure of dying at the exact moment of our spouse. So we need to be putting ourselves, what, it, what must it like to be widowed and then think of who, who needs our help. In the next couple songs, we're going to respond in worship. We're going to sing, praise the Lord. We're going to pray. Uh, we're going to give our tithes and offerings. But as we're singing, maybe, maybe just ask the Lord, okay, do I know any widows? Should I? I don't know. Do I know any? Are they cared for? Do, what do I know of their family? Are, are they surrounded in support? Do, do I need to supplement that support? And we need to be asking the Lord to reveal that face, to reveal that person that we need to call or email or Facebook or whatever way you're in contact with them and we need to talk to them this week. Ask the Lord to reveal that. Let's pray. Dear Father, I, I thank you for your word. I thank you for using Paul uh, to minister and, and serve uh, the younger pastor, Timothy, and to record these words and that through the power of your spirit, we have this amazing instruction. It's a chapter full of how to care for the elderly, how to care for the widowed. And it's so concrete, Lord, and we praise you for giving us that instruction. Father, as we uh, give in song, as we give in prayer, and as we give a tithe and offering, just please use it for your glory. Be pleased with it. And for those of us that have felt your word uh, of conviction and application, Bring to our minds a, a widow in need or a widower in need. Bring them to our mind, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.